Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimgard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know that we've been going through the series of Avatar The Last Airbender. We uh, review two episodes of the series every podcast episode, and today we have worked our way all the way through to the two-season finale episodes, episodes 19 and 20, The Siege of the North. Part 1 uh, will be the first one we're going over. It was written by John O'Brien. And uh, we were just discussing right before the start of the show, we were discussing uh, John O'Brien's writing. Because I was like, this is an awesome episode. Has he done other like really, really big episodes before? Well, um, he did the King of Homashu. That was, that was kind of a big one. And uh, <laughs> he did the Waterbending Scroll. Yeah. And he did the Great that Divide. Episode. The worst ranked episode. <laughs> <laughs> You would not know, like, you would not think that that, that this writer, John O'Brien, did the worst ranked episode in all of Avatar just by watching this, because this is one of the yeah. highest ranked episodes, so yeah. It's, yeah, he's, got it's, a, he's got a good mishmash. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a great opportunity to point out that it's, it, it doesn't all lie on the writer. There's a lot of moving parts to the episode. It's not like, oh, they had good days, or they had bad days. There's a lot what goes into making a quality episode. And so seeing a writer that writes one of the highest rated episodes of Avatar, who also wrote the lowest rated ep episode of Avatar, like, can't judge a book by his IMDb ratings, folks. John O'Brien can do it all. <laughs> right. Uh, this episode is also directed by Lauren McMullen. It's animated by DR Movie, and the episode aired December 2nd, 2005. The IMDb rating for The Siege of the North Part 1 is a whopping 9.3 out of 10. Mm -hmm. It really deserves every bit of that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of the highest ranked episodes that we've seen so far. I think only maybe two or three have been higher, um, two or three episodes. But yeah, it's definitely one of the highest that we've gotten so far. It really makes me excited for the episodes of the series that are going to top that. When they're nine point anything, I'm just like, wow, they really <laughs> like this. And so, yeah, I, I'm oh, yeah. pretty sure we had a nine point. I think we had a nine point five for one of them. I think that it was the uh, the blue spirit had a nine point mm. five. Totally right. warranted. <laughs> yes. Right. So good. So for our fun facts, we've got a couple here. Um, this two part finale is Michael Dante DiMartino's favorite episodes two episodes, um, as he described them as an awesome way to end the first book. And he is absolutely right. I think mm -hmm. that this finale is great. Um, it does have some problems that we'll get into later, but I think that it is a very satisfying way to kind of wrap up the, the overarching story of season one um, in a pretty solid way. Um, Princess Yue's name means, I already did that one. What? That was from the last one. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Well, the funny perfect. thing is that she goes out of her way to be like, my name means the moon, so it <laughs> makes sense. Ashton, call my name. <laughs> Literally, that's the second time I've referenced Never Ending Story on this podcast. 
So, 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 um, so this this podcast is for fans of the Neverending Story, Avatar: The Last Airbender, Star, Star Wars, Wars, Marvel. <laughs> Yeah, if if you happen oh. to be a fan of all of these things, boy, you're in the right spot. Four genders, the four quadrants. <laughs> four genders. Oh goodness. Um, uh, and then my final fun fact for us is in the dialogue between Han and Sokka, Han pronounces Sokka's name incorrectly by elongating the O, which is the Asian pronunciation, and how it is pronounced in the film The Last Airbender. Now, this this is going to be fun for you because. Um, in The Last Airbender, in, in Night Shyamalan's movie, basically almost all of the names are mispronounced. Aang is Ong, Sokka is Soka, Iroh is Iro, and the list goes on. <laughs> it is so no, it's really, no, it's really No, it's really funny, though. His name is incorrectly pronounced as Soka, but that's the Asian pronunciation of it. Right. Yeah, but I now, think see, that that's they... The, now, that's uh, the funny thing for me is that I know, and I've caught myself on this a few times, I naturally oh, yeah, I want to call him Soka because I know that that's the Asian pronunciation. The show isn't Asian-made, but it's an Asian culture, right. and I see the name, and I've always been like, oh, Soka. And I, I, I've had to be like, no, it's Sokka. It's pronounced Sokka. <laughs> she even calls him Sokka. And then you immediately follow by calling him Soka Dum Dum. But like... <laughs> like internally cringing the first couple episodes and you're calling him Soka because I was just thinking of the movie and I'm like, God damn it. I feel I feel like it's gonna be like with with Han and Lando, where his name is like and he saw him Han yeah. and he's like, It's Han, but that's okay. <laughs> you're like right. it's Literally. you're just looking you're just looking at me across the table here, like, it's Sokka, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> right. For me, it's what mm -hmm. a name that has haunted me for a really long time, which I can't frame to pronounce it the Americanized way, which is pretty much the as far as the best of my knowledge, the only culture, the only language in which it's pronounced this way is the name. Now give me a moment. Anna. I can't say Anna. Because in every <laughs> other language, the name is Anna. It's Anna. Right. And so I met a girl who, like, a long time ago, I met a girl. I think she was my best friend's uh, girlfriend. And he was like, this is my girlfriend, Anna. And I was like, oh, Anna, how are you? And she literally looked me straight in the eye and went, it's Anna. And I was like, sorry. Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, yeah, funny. no, it's just hard. There's a natural way I want to pronounce that. I have to fight my natural <laughs> inclination. Anna. Saka. <laughs> it's okay. I always say Anna because I just think it rolls off the tongue better. But <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, but diving back in now that I've been called out for calling him Soka. Um, <laughs> but no, so so the Siege of the North Part One. Uh, I gotta tell you, having watched episodes one and two, I'm just gonna come out and say this. The Siege of the North Part 2 has some amazing epic stuff in it. We're going to get to that. Some incredible jaw-dropping finale. But I actually like the Siege of the North Part 1 better. Ooh, I like Part 1 better. The high point of the season and the finale is actually in Part 1. Not <laughs> quite so much in Part 2. They're different. The different reasons. I'll, I'll explain. Um, so, so getting right into it. 
starting mm-hmm. at the start of the episode, Katara, <laughs> Mary Sue. No, just kidding. We talked about this last time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's just putting everybody on their backs. I love how uh, Master, Master Paku, I almost called him Master Dooku, uh, for everybody who remembers my comparison in the last episode um, last week, was he, he's just there telling anybody and everybody, so who wants to go round two with Katara? And everybody's just, they're all washed up. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the waterbenders. Um, and I think it's so cool. It's so cool to see her again, like we talked about last time, really come into her own. She's got some serious power. She's his top student now. Um, mm-hmm. I really thought that when they were like, how about you, Aang? <laughs> I thought Aang was going to be like, yeah, no, she already whooped me three times. I don't really want to go a third round. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was just really, really cool to see her. Um, you know, we, I kind of want to jump into something that we had started talking about um, just a little bit in the last episode, which was uh, Sokka and Yue's relationship. And, you right. know, obviously it evolves a lot more uh, over the finale. Um, <laughs> I gotta tell you, I really liked the entire aspect. It took me by surprise of Sokka actually meeting the suitor Han. Oh, yeah. I, right. I, when they were like, this is hot. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's him? That's the guy? He's marrying you? <laughs> I I really I was watching that part of the episode where they were put on the same team together. By the way, hilarious mm-hmm. that immediately he walks in in like the wrong design, the old design, right. Fire Nation armor. And I was like, I was like leaning into my screen and being like, I felt like Deadpool in the cab. I was like, now Sokka, make sure that you're polite, take the high ground. I was like. Now don't 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 admit he's your teammate. The mission's important. Turn him over to the Fire Nation. <laughs> and I was like, he, it's, it's important to be respectful of your rival, you know, so that you ultimately are the bigger, the better man. Kill him. No, you ain't. <laughs> <laughs> Just knock him off the edge. Which makes it even funnier than when in the middle of the siege. <laughs> It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Admiral Zhao and um, Uncle Iroh are are standing on the deck, and they're literally like opening up something. Like, so I was just thinking about that, and and then right behind them, he just like pops out. Your time has come, and then he charges. They just let him go past, and he knock him off the edge. And, and yes. Do we even see him again? Nope. <laughs> That's it. He's just gone. <laughs> The most that is the most unceremonial off-screen death we've ever gotten. <laughs> it's great, and then they just go right back to what they were talking about. I really, like, stood completely amazed. I stood and applauded the show. It was amazing. <laughs> I watched that part over again three times. You literally messaged me about that part, <laughs> Admiral <laughs> Choi. <laughs> I called the wrong name. It's like. So the ridiculous. The fact that they call him the raw or that Han calls Admiral Zhao Admiral Choi. <laughs> and he's so Admiral, confident about Admiral it. Choi. <laughs> Time has come. Oh my god. Oh, it's, it's so funny. It was the best. It was the best. I hate the like trope of the romantic rival that's like a total douchebag 
but like this was a good way to handle it because he's also like comedy like he's not supposed to be taken seriously at all and i think that they knew that so it's like i like that they play up the comedy aspect of that trope because it's funny yeah Um, it was it was it it wasn't like oh no he's so much better than i am he's so much smarter and more handsome and everything and look how much everyone likes him they didn't do a stupid like jealousy like Sokka's the loser no he was a loser he was the loser and a jerk and then he falls off the edge and it's just like yo oh he dead he dead for sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that was that was amazing um but you know but to get a little further into uh Sokka and Yue you know we talked about their their relationship being a bit of of puppy love and I like the fact that the conflict between them escalated a little bit more in the fact that there was now this war going on and it's not just all frivolous you know oh i'm gonna hang out with you because i think you're cute and you know she's all mystified that he's a guy who genuinely likes her for her when the only romantic option she's known her whole life is the arranged marriage mm-hmm. and and then from that it turns into something a little bit more complicated you know she rejects him hard and the next thing he he does is volunteer for a potential suicide mission so his response is basically guess i'll die then <laughs> <laughs> literally he rejects me guess i'll die <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. See, but that's the thing. He fell so hard and then got rejected so hard. And I think that that just like <laughs> kind of messed him up. <laughs> Why am I crying love right now? And sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I like certain aspects of their relationship. I think it's very realistic. But teen real teen relationships, you know, they're very quick and they're so passionate and loving and you know you don't really understand the gravity of the situation they're intense Um, yeah they're very very intense and this was very intense i mean you got so much back and forth between them uh, especially on ua's part because saga's fully in like he is in love with this girl and she really likes him but she has this arranged marriage that she has to deal with and she's going back and forth between kind of you know flirting with him but holding but like pulling back and you know it's frustrating because you're like damn it just get together you guys are cute like stop (laughs) it's frustrating for me because i'm like i would love it if they just completely abandoned the whole you know the i'm engaged subplot because it's like okay but it's not even like really a big deal because the guy just went overboard like yeah you know i feel like you could still have Han as a character, as a rival for Sokka being the best warrior or whatever. But like, as a romantic rival, there's nothing really there except for Yue's mm. hesitance to like fully lean into the relationship. So yeah. that's actually, I will say this. Um, you know, people love to shit on the last Airbender movie and Night Shyamalan. Yet again, we've mentioned it. Um, but this actually is something I feel he does better in the movie, surprisingly, because they're, they completely cut the engagement storyline. Like there Mm -hmm. is no mention at all of UA, you know, having a previous arranged marriage or anything like that. Wait, UA is in the movie? In the, in the last airbender movie. Yeah. I I, I don't forget. I haven't watched the show, but I also haven't watched the movie. So I don't know what parts of the show were taken and like used in the movie. I'm not going to lie. I kind of surprised (laughs) that, Oh. In there. oh yeah so they basically just cut 
the majority of the filler um, episodes from, you know, the first season and they condense the first season into basically a two hour, 30 minute movie. Um, so the, the last act is all in the, the Northern water tribe. Um, and UA is very much a big part of that, but yeah, they cut the entire engagement story. And I think that actually was the right move. That's the one thing that I'm like, this could have been cut. Like you don't need this extra layer of drama on top of everything else going on. Um, yeah. Because then that would have made that would have left more time for them to actually form a, a genuine bond. Um, not that they don't have a bond, but you know what I mean. It just gives more time to explore their relationship, so that the you know ultimate tragedy of it makes it that much more impactful. You know, right? Um, so I will give the movie props for that. I think that they actually handled Sokka and Yue's relationship in the movie well. Um, mm acted well but they handle it well <laughs> but uh... i mean now jumping ahead because i feel like as long as we're on this topic to just stay on the topic and carry it through the second episode we're doing one episodes one and two together we'll go over stats and fun facts on the second episode but to kind of finish the discussion about like Sokka and ua like consider them and i'm going to build it up a little bit to make it seem a little bit more dramatic and like a little deeper than it actually is mm-hmm. imagine two people and he doesn't know who he doesn't know who he's going to run into. He travels across the entire world and then meets somebody who he falls in love with. And he already doesn't think he has a shot with her. But then on top of it, the entire culture, the culture that is holding his sister back in the previous episode is now holding him back from getting involved with her. And they're held apart for a really long time until Han you know, dies. He's dead, basically. He, 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 he dead. Okay. And right when that happens, she has to sacrifice herself. And so there's this, the potential of what they could have had if only the door had been open is gone now. We'll never know really what all they could have meant to each other because she died before they could explore it. Or is it, would it have been more or not as tragic if that whole, you know, thing holding them apart wasn't there from the start, where there wasn't anybody else in the picture, and they were able to get to know each other more deeply, would her parting have been softened that he got to spend time with her and got to know her, and that they had developed a relationship and shared their feelings, things that he'll carry forward into fond memories of her after her sacrifice? Or is it more tragic that he never got to have any of it? He didn't even get to have a kiss with her until her spirit kissed him. Like, which do you find more tragic? What we got or what we could have gotten? Um, well, they actually did kiss. <laughs> Sorry, did they, they kiss? I, I thought they got close to kissing. And he was like, oh, nice. Uh... Well, no, there was that moment. But then remember on the bridge um, when he's like, yeah, no, I know that it's never going to work out between us. Like I, I understand. Oh yeah. She did run back and kiss him. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 And that's when she reveals that she's engaged. I'm like, girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, face plant. She's a teenager, whatever. Um, but, uh, okay. So personally for me, just because what we got, you know, is obviously very sad, you know, but I think that it would have been more tragic if they got to spend more time together, really develop a true genuine bond between both of them that feels equally like, you know, no, no one's holding back. Like they are just fully in love with each other. Um, And I think that that would have been even sadder because 
even if that were the case, if we didn't have the whole, you know, arranged marriage side plot, um, like they really only had a couple of weeks together tops. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you got to think about that. Like, so no matter what, there's a ticking time clock and no one can get to know anyone well within a couple of weeks, like, you know, in a super yeah. deep, you know, spiritual romantic level. Um, so I think that, yeah, having more time to spend with each other would have deepened their bond, which would have made her parting harder because, yeah. you know, they really would have fallen for each other. Um, so yeah, that, again, that's why I think that that's the one thing that <laughs> the mm -hmm. movie does a little bit better. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the, you know, the entire thing between them, I, while it is nice for what it is, you know, for me, I think the warrior woman of Kiyoshi was way better for him. And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm matchmaking Sokka with a character, somebody who understands what drives him, who appreciates him for who he is, but it also isn't just like, oh, you're so wonderful, but I can't be with you. Like somebody who is also like, I know what you are and I know your strengths and your weaknesses and I appreciate both, but I also kind of keep your head on straight about things. Right. Like I feel like that's more the sort of person that like Sokka needs, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, I I've always said that that uh, Yue is Sokka's first love. Like he genuinely mm -hmm. did fall in love with her, and we see that the kind of repercussions of her death in later seasons um, mm -hmm. and how it kind of affects him. She is really dead. Don't worry, she's not like going to come back or anything. Um, <laughs> you never but, know. Uh, I mean, the avatars all appear to Aang. So I, mean, I didn't know she was going to Obi Wan yeah. Kenobi him and appear as a ghost. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so. Yue was Sokka's first love, but I think Suki, the uh, warrior woman from Kyoshi, she is his true Suki, love. Suki, right, thank you. Yes, I love that you can never remember <laughs> I can never <laughs> remember. I keep trying to say, like, the word, and I, like, I want to say Suki, but all I come up with is that her name starts with an S, and, like, I can't get it, Suki. Yeah. She was only yeah. in one episode, so. Oh, yeah. Um, Does she so... come back? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you i can sleep i can sleep better tonight thank you amanda <laughs> yeah i won't tell you when but yeah she does come back um and uh she definitely has a bigger part to play than just the one episode yeah. um yeah so no, no. not wrong for pairing Sokka with her because yes they they are the end game couple <laughs> Ooh, okay so i don't want to though um miss the forest for the trees here and miss out on what is the actual meat and potatoes of these two episodes, which is, of course, the Fire Nation battle against siege of the, North Pole. Uh, the, the actual siege of the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> these are sound funny referring to this North Pole. I expect like Santa to be like, oh, oh we're under attack again. <laughs> Rudolph. The... <laughs> is Santa a waterbender? Does he go on Christmas? Yeah. Does he go on Christmas Eve because he actually waterbends the snowflakes under his sleigh to drive it through the air? Is that how they fly? Is that how that works? It's head cannon now. Um, the siege is incredible, and I love in this episode. And I think this is one of the things that really sets the table amazingly for it is when Sokka and Yue go out, and then the, the soot starts to fall. Mm hmm. <laughs> like mind blown oh it's amazing as opposed to the white beautiful snowflakes that are falling the black soot flakes 
from the massive fleet of war machines approaching on the horizon they are outpaced by this cloud of soot and yeah sure like that was absolutely jaw-dropping but it becomes even more amazing when Sokka reveals that he's like yeah this is what happened when the fire nation invaded my home this is i remember this and you got to remember that the fire nation has been at this for a while they're conquering the world this is like their calling card when they're approaching by sea at least and you just how haunting that is yeah i i love the detail of not just the soot uh, mixing in with the snow but turning the water like the fountains black like it's so chilling and like that is always one of those visuals that like it stuck with me as a kid because i was like that is terrifying like just to be surrounded by all this beautiful white and blue and then suddenly it all just turns black and gray and you're just like oh shit like they mean business there's a lot of ships yeah it's oh wow it's so good oh and real quick the fact that ua doesn't know what that is like she in the other northern you know um i was gonna say northern tribesmen but they are yeah northern tribesmen they don't know what it is because they have never been invaded because the fire nation would never dare to invade the northern water tribe they make a point of saying so that like they're too massive and they're too powerful out here that the climate they've adapted to it like you know and so they don't even have they don't even have fire they they don't even need fire they boil their water by looking at it the only place where where you can stare at a pot of water and it boils (laughs) exactly so it just adds another level of like bit of world building that she doesn't know what it is, but Sokka does because his tribe is so much smaller and inferior than than theirs. So it's yeah. just, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just thought of that. No, no, no. That's an awesome, awesome you know, part about that, that she doesn't even know it. She's so naive to the horror of war and Sokka is you know, jaded by it. He's a hardened person, mm-hmm. you know, not that he is, you know, has a dark side by any means, at least none we've seen so far. But, you know, as we talked about, a lot of the strength in Sokka's character is that he is trying to be responsible. He is trying to carry on where his father isn't around anymore to to, to be the leader. Um, and he's a great character for that, that strength of character. But he's seen some stuff and and it just... Yeah, it really adds a lot of gravity to the whole thing. The the battle against the Fire Nation right off the bat, where you see Aang jump in and do his Aang stuff that he does, and it's literally, you're literally watching a super-powered kid fight soldiers. It's like, watch me use your whole catapult thing to make the catapult pull the other catapult. How ironic and funny was that? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then... And then he realized how much more there is of it. Yeah, and it's and I loved of how later on he comes back just exhausted from the front lines of the war. And and he literally is like, I took out 15 of their ships, and there's just more out there. And he's so disheartened where they're like, you're the Avatar. And he's like, I'm a kid. Literally just a kid. <laughs> like... I really do love that. See, one of the ways that you make your characters likable and lovable is to give them very human weakness and it's not all about giving them character flaws you just need to give them human moments moments where you're a superhero and you're supposed to go out there and be a superhero and when you come back battered and tired and tired of just war 
you want to sit down and be able to be human. And you, what you last thing you need is for people to walk up to you and be like, but you're a superhero. You're not supposed to stop and need a breather. Get back out there. Like mm-hmm. you're a, still a person. You have feelings. The, the, the impact of war has an effect on you and that they conveyed that with Aang in such a very simple way and the way that a kid would describe it for him to literally just be like, this is a lot of burden on me, man. I'm really feeling like a kid in the middle of something kids are not supposed to be in the middle of right now. (laughs) I can do, I can handle it. I have the power, but like, I don't have the temperament for this. And like you say, he's a pacifist. Right. Which is also yeah, really no, cool I... to watch him target their weapons of war and not the people themselves. He breaks their toys instead of hurting them. Right. And then he just goes full sicko mode in part two. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I, I really do love that moment too where he's, you know, he's just so beaten down and he's just like, I'm just a kid. Like, I can't do anymore because it is so human and it is so true. Um, and yeah, I just, I love that little moment. Um, so there's a moment, and we kind of already talked about this moment, but with uh, Admiral Zhao and Uncle Ira when they're talking on the bridge of the ship um, before attacking. And, you know, Admiral Zhao is telling him about this, you know, library where he discovered, like, the secrets of how these spirits became mortal, basically. Um, I'm just going to say now, remember that library is going to come back in a big way. <laughs> so... So cool that the library will be back. <laughs> that moment kind of broke me out of the episode a little for me because, like, the general Emerald Zhao is not a character that we're not well acquainted with, but like this mm-hmm. guy is kind of a meathead. Like, let's be honest mm-hmm. he's he's never shown himself to be some like dedicated scholar who's like look yeah he's a man of war but he's mostly a big angry lunk and so for him to suddenly be like oh but in my youth i plunder this library for the secrets of all these things i discovered the spirit world and all that i'm like wait a minute Wait a minute. <laughs> you, you were 100 not a churchgoer before man you were a dedicated agnostic and you knew it <laughs> Where's this whole big, oh, I used to be really spiritual, like, come from? Yeah, get out of here, man. <laughs> sure. Honestly, I and I just thought of this. I almost think that it would have been cooler if, um, well, when my, I was going to say Zuko. Uh, if Iroh was mm-hmm. the one to talk about this library that, like, you know, led him to the secrets of the spirit world. Because we know, and this is delved into further in the series, but we know that uh, Iroh has this strange spiritual connection. Like he saw uh, Roku's dragon when Mm. Aang was riding him when no one else did. So we're like, okay, this guy has he alluded to it. Zhao was even like, you traveled into the spirit world. Yeah, he should have relayed some information that Admiral Zhao would then take and use and bend to a military end, dabbling in something that he knows nothing about just to get a victory for him to suddenly like pop out this random spiritual side but what a scholar he was uncovering these secrets i'm like okay all right then the scene of him pouring through the text like he's gandalf you know (laughs) literally that is exactly what that scene um yeah but like geez just imagining like how much worse it would be like how much more dramatic it would be if God, I did it again. Iroh, not Zuko. We're we're going to get to Zuko. I know you're excited. We're going to get to Zuko. Um, If Iroh had been, you know, like maybe 
Zhao was like, oh, you know, I know that the spirits make these waterbenders powerful. And he's like, you know nothing of the spirits. Like, you know, I knew about these two spirits, the moon and the ocean that turned mortal. And like, he's not even, he's just trying to prove that Zhao doesn't know anything. Do and not he... speak to me of the sacred texts. I was there <laughs> when they were written. Literally, like it would be that kind of moment where you're like, oh shit, Iroh, shut up. Like you're going to give him. It would have added an additional layer to the story. And an amazing story. Like we're not bashing it, but like it would have added additional gravity because like Iroh really wasn't there for any other reason than just to kind of like relay messages to Zuko about what was going on. Okay. Which like... I have something to say about that too but like the whole a whole arc though the setup of like zuko on the ship and everything he was hiding on the ship is i was really expecting him to make some direct move against zhao and then he didn't and like why is why is iroh there at all if just to be like okay we're here like zuko kind of didn't have a plan and then his plan is to jump overboard swim into the city and go look for look for the avatar right which, which I guess yeah, I mean, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a running thing with Zuko is like he doesn't really ever have a plan he just kind of goes in without thinking <laughs> so it's like I've got a goal I don't know what the plan is to get that goal achieved but right. I'm gonna do it <laughs> well at least at the least he's consistent like even though they seemed right. like they were setting up that he was gonna do something to get back at Zhao for trying to blow him up which like eventually he like fights him but like I thought he was gonna like get the drop on him in some super clever way um, but instead, right. I mean, true to true, true Zuko, the Avatar is all that matters, um, and so he goes in there. And I gotta tell you, the fight <laughs> between Zuko and Katara was absolutely mm -hmm. incredible. And please tell me if you get the same vibe I did when the full moon is out and Katara is fighting him that first time there when she's trying to get at Aang and I love that moment by the way during the fight where he like puts his hand on the back of Aang's shirt and she's just like nope no mister back, back in oh, amazing and that fight just gave me the same vibes of like Rey versus Kylo Ren when he like lights that fire in yeah. her where he's like you need a teacher I can show you how to use the force and then she like just comes at him like it Literally. was same thing for me. I was, I was, it was riveting, incredible. Yeah. The Raylo vibes are strong with this one. <laughs> yes. Well, especially because he was the one so in charge of the time when, like Kylo, when he captured her and interrogated her, mm -hmm. like he was the one in charge. And now here he is expecting to just blow her away, and she's like, "Ha I have the yeah. power of God and the Moon on my side." <laughs> ah! <laughs> literally um yeah no and that's <laughs> i i love the line and a lot of people this has become kind of a meme but um i actually really like the line that he says um after he kind of beats her you know she beats him initially and then the the sun rises and you know he then breaks out of her you know ice cage or whatever mm -hmm. and he beats her catch her catches her off guard and he says the line, you rise with the moon, I rise with the sun. That is such mm. a cool line, and I don't care. <laughs> like, I love oh, it's, it. it's very um, cool. Very cool. Of course, I mean, come on now. All the big, really cool lines eventually get turned into memes. They're not bad lines. They're just easy targets. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, and the I just love the 
not really banter because it's really only Zuko that's talking throughout this whole fight mm. for some reason. Like Katara's like, shut up. Um, but I do love all the lines that he has, you know, like the, well, aren't you a big girl now? And then the whole, oh, you water tribe peasant, you found a teacher. <laughs> it's like well, Zuko. And, you know, it really does show, though, the strength and maturity on her part that we've seen her gain in the last couple of episodes, because instead of her firing back at him verbally or telling him to shut up or anything, she is just focused on the fight. She's there. She's not allowing she's not allowing him to distract her and demoralize her like she knows she's got this. And his only way to try to overpower her is to erode her confidence. And she doesn't right. allow him to do it. She's put up with worse right. than Zuko. She's put up with Paku. Right. Who's like who's like old mean water Zuko? Am I right? Like, come on. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, no. I think that I love that he tries to, like you said, demean her and erode her confidence and like she just doesn't let him. And it's just it's so cool. I love it. And when she does the uh you know, the giant water ball around him, she freezes it and it just gets that kind of slow-mo close-up on her face as she smiles. I'm like, yes, queen. Yeah. Get his ass. Really good. Yeah. I love but it. He winds up he winds up getting Aang anyway. Um he winds up he winds up snatching him. And you know, Aang mules off in the spirit world. And boy, the spirit world, like this is the spirit we are a world that we really needed. Like where was this in another episode? It's so cool. <laughs> I know, I told you, it gets much cooler. Yes, yes. And much more right. interesting. At first, I was like, oh, this is very, like, unusual. This is not, like, this is kind of kind of dark and creepy and kind of scary for this show. But, like, mm -hmm. it was an awesome scene of, like, Aang having that conversation with, I don't remember the name of the character who was, like, that ancient spirit. Ko the Face Stealer. Co the face stealer. I remember the whole face stealing shtick. Like good, yeah. good thing. Like when you get famous for stealing people's faces, like good on you, man. But I can't remember his first name. So yeah, no, that I love. That's one of my favorite spirits that the show introduces. Um, he's so creepy. The voice is so good. I I can't remember who voices him, but oh man, it's and I get like I have to go stone face because I feel like, you know, I have to be Aang in this moment. I cannot show emotion, even though this guy's terrifying. Um, yeah, I, I love that whole scene and like how we get the information about the moon and ocean spirit and how Aang kind of puts it together in that split second where he gets excited because he's like, oh, I figured it out. And then he just immediately has to go back to being, you know, yeah. stone face. Like, was great. Like, like, <laughs> like storytelling where the story presents a riddle to be overcome that requires you to do something. You can't fight your way out of it. It requires smarts and tact. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. it's very, very cool. Um, no, the, the episode overall is is awesome. Um, like I said, the, the battle scene is amazing. Um, but the fact that they show so many of the things surrounding the battle itself, you know, it shows its effect on Aang, um, you know, all the subterfuge that's going on with, with, with Zuko sneaking in to get the Avatar out. The battle's all good and fine, but like the, the, everything was just, it was a setting for some really amazing story points to happen an epic duel. This episode was really high rated for me. Like I, I gotta tell you, if only I had had time, um, I actually would have watched it again today. Um, but I didn't mm -hmm. have the time for it, but I actually intend to go back and rewatch uh, parts <laughs> one and two, mostly for part one. 
Uh, I am going to concur with the I, uh, uh, IMDb rating for this, and I give it also a 9.3 out of 10. You know what? Screw it. I will also concur. <laughs> will. <laughs> wow. Um, I think that it's a really good episode. Honestly, I think that the episode, not to spoil anything, but I think that the episodes are pretty much equal in my eyes just because they're basically one story. Um, but I do love the the buildup in this episode. You know, the fight, yeah. as you said, is great and all that. But I really like seeing the pieces be put into place for the battle. Um, yeah, yeah I, I really, really like this episode. This takes us into episode 20, uh, The Siege of the North Part 2. Um, and it was written by Aaron Ehas, who, who he is an honorary, he is our honorary boy at this point, written some amazing, amazing episodes and directed none other by It's Your Boy, Dave it's Filoni. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's animated by JM Animation. Again, incredible, beautiful work. Uh, the episode aired December 2nd, 2005. Uh, did they air the same day? Because I think the yes. other one was also December 2nd. Yes, yes. And the IMDb rating for Siege of the North Part 2 is even higher than its predecessor at 9.6 out of 10. I was about to say, I think that actually is the highest um, episode ranking that we've gotten so far uh, for this season. So even higher so. than the Blue Spirit. All right, so for fun facts, when Twee, the moon spirit, is killed, everything turns gray, but Yue's eyes remain visibly blue, showing that some of Twee's life was still present inside of her. I love that visual detail. Mm -hmm. It's so, ah, chef's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a good indicator for how Iroh would have known, like, because like mm -hmm. I said, he's kind of spiritually attuned, so he, he kind of recognized that energy. Um then the second fun fact is that this, this is kind of a bit darker, but this episode marks the first time that multiple characters are killed in an Avatar episode. Twi was murdered by Zhao. Yue sacrifices herself to restore Twi's life force and thus becomes the new incarnation of the moon spirit. And Zhao himself meets his demise while fighting Zuko at the hands of the vengeful ocean spirit, Law. So lots of death in this episode. <laughs> lots of major I mean, character death. I mean, it's a, it's a season finale. People gotta die. You know, <laughs> um, and then uh, final fun fact is that this would be the final Avatar episode directed by our boy Dave Filoni. Oh, uh, that's a sad fact. That's it's a fun fact to know, but that is unfun fact. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> don't go, don't go on to do more, more amazing things. Yeah, don't go on to do one of the most well-received Star Wars projects of all time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stay man. here, yeah. stay here. The, the, I feel like we're, we're mostly just continuing commentary, but just kind of shifting the focus at this point. As a huge part of of part two is just the conclusion of the the fight itself. Um, the the conclusion of the of the grand war and i mean a lot of that just comes by to uh or comes by through ang finally being reunited with his with his body which wasn't as difficult as everyone thought it was going to be when they were like oh we have to keep his body here so that his spirit can find its way back i mean he pretty much just hit auto walk like waypoint travel like right to his body that was pretty slick uh, <laughs> I do love that line, though, um, when Katara and Yue are, like, talking about how, you know, he needs total concentration and we can't move him. 
and he's getting so frustrated. Like, guys, can you just shut up? I can hear everything you're saying. <laughs> like, I love when Aang has those little moments of getting angry. <laughs> They're so funny. But can we talk about Aangzilla for a minute? Koizilla as actually he's dubbed by the creators Koizilla. Is he? He's Koizilla. Yes. Okay. Yes. Koizilla. Yeah. Koizilla was awesome. I was just like, what is happening? It was, I, I was, I was, yeah, mind again, mind blown again, more ways. Like I'd said at the, the start of all this, that I, I had my, any expectations of what was going to happen um, I didn't expect a giant koi water god to turn into a kaiju through the body of Aang the Avatar. Um, couldn't really right. see that coming. Um, I'm actually going to be kind of, well, I don't know if this is controversial, but mm -hmm. I'm going to say it's controversial. I actually don't like Koizilla, question mark. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just a step over the line of like, okay, this makes sense within the world. Like, I don't know why. I feel like I was just expecting Aang to go into the Avatar state and just do it himself. like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> then you add on top this like giant water monster Koizilla, you know, law yeah. spirit. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, so we're doing that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's a concept, I guess, but I just don't, I think it might just be a little too removed from the world if that makes sense like i think it would have made so much more sense if it was just ang doing it himself like he's overtaken yeah. by the avatar state and he's yeah. going on this rampage just wiping people out left and right and you know i think that that would have been a little almost more impactful because we know that ang is a pacifist yes. and seeing him lose control like that because he's not at all in control of his body when he's you know embodying the uh the ocean spirit but um you know, I think that that would have made it a little more emotional for him. It would have been better to have Aang actually just do it himself. We watched him put out a volcano. You're trying to tell me that right. a Fire Nation fleet is more than a vol a whole volcano? Yeah, no. Uh, no, he could have done something incredible in the Avatar state. And it would have been more impactful. And that's one of the reasons why, while I love episode 20 it's 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 incredible it had i love that, that it had both incredibly gigantically impressive you know season finale big finish big explosion big monster like everything you'd hope for and expect from a a cartoon action series finale um it also had smaller and more intimate moments like the sacrifice uh you know that that uh she makes for uh tui is that tui, tui was the name of the fish tui. tui that ua makes that sacrifice for tui um and like it, it's also incredibly nuanced just like the thing is like he takes the fish and like hurts it and like it puts out the moon or he like puts it in the bag and the moon is like turns red like almost like an eclipse without having an eclipse it's just insane um it's beautiful, so they do a really good blend of it. But like you said, it goes too far in some direction. So it just hollow out it out just a little bit for me. Um, I thought that having having Zuko have literally nowhere to go but to throw Aang over his shoulder and wander off into the wilderness with no goal. 
Oh, yeah. He's stuck from escaping once again by the forces of nature, kind of like the episode where they're all stranded by the storm, except this time it's snow. And I'm like, here he is, and now they're going to be stuck until all the good guys come and rescue him because he has literally no way to escape. Zuko has no chance. He's put himself in a corner now. <laughs> right. He's gone north of the wall. <laughs> so some things in the episode I felt were a little, a little, a little lazy. You know, giant monster saves them at the end. You know, Zuko railroaded, so there's no really no drama of whether he's going to take Aang and get away. So, like, it made the rescue mm -hmm. of Aang a little hollow for me. Um, but the episode is still great. You know, a lot of really, really good things in it. Um, I like that part with Zuko where he where he said where he said that he uh, he doesn't need luck and doesn't want it. Yeah, that whole monologue that he gives Aang when he's passed out <laughs> is uh, great because it kind of perfectly encapsulates Zuko. Like, you know, the line and, you know, we'll talk about Azula in a minute, but the line, you know, my sister was born lucky. I was lucky to be born. Like, I don't need luck. I don't want it. I've had to struggle to survive and that's made me strong. I'm like, yes, this is like every, this is the entire point of Zuko's character. And see that throughout the entire show that yeah he does struggle he does have to fight to survive and just you know not not to live well to live obviously but mm -hmm. just to survive and make it in this world that just constantly beats him down like even when he yeah. thinks he's happy he's got everything it's not enough and mm -hmm. i'm just like my poor boy yeah okay so I really want to talk about um, UA Sacrifice real quick, because it's my favorite part of this episode. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, the animation this episode's stunning. Having the color change depending on the moon is mm -hmm. a great idea. You know, you go from blue and white, which is normal, um, to when Zhao kind of scoops up Twee, the moon spirit, and it suddenly turns red. Like, it's not mm -hmm. out. It's just, everything goes red, and it's so pretty. Right. And I then. Yeah, and then with Tweed getting killed, you know, by the fire, suddenly everything is just grayscale. It's just gray and blue, or not blue, I'm uh, sorry, mm. black and white. Yeah. And it's just, it's stunning. The The animation looks amazing in that kind of grayscale tone. And um, one of my favorite shots of the whole episode is when Aang is in the, is in the pond with the other koi mm -hmm. fish, with Law, and yeah. he suddenly just falls into the water. Oh, like, he amazing. Just it's just oh it's stunning um but as this all is happening you know twee is dead the moon spirit and you know ua kind of puts it together like some of its life is inside me i can give it back like and mm -hmm. we can bring him back to life and that that whole scene and like Sokka protesting and like trying to you know hold her back from doing it and she just so fearlessly is like no i have to do this like this is what I was literally born to do, um, mm. giving her life, it is so like impactful. And like, you know, everything that I said about UA is still true. Like I, I don't care for the engagement subplot, but like that is one of the bravest things that any character in Avatar has ever done. Like literally yeah. just giving their life without hesitation because they know it's the right thing to do. And it's just, oh, it breaks my heart every single time. And Sokka's reaction Oh my God, when he just holds her dead body and he just is like, she's gone. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. oh my God. I know. And obviously her spirit appearing to him and, you know, uh, giving him a final goodbye and kiss. And it's just, 
oh, and then the moon reappearing and everything going back to the normal colors. It's it's amazing. It's such a phenomenal sequence. Um, and I just I get so like emotional thinking about it. Yeah. No, the the impact of the entire sequence, the the episode did an amazing job of building the lore of the moon and water spirits, of the push and the pull, mm -hmm. the yin and the yang, you know, built over the previous episode and then this one. Um just absolutely incredible um you know narrative because it it builds for us a familiarity as everything from ang making the realization in the spirit world of where these spirits are and who they are um because mm -hmm. it built at first we were led to believe like oh they exited the spirit world it's like well did the moon one become the literal moon and the ocean one became the literal ocean and like it's almost mm -hmm. we almost would assume that's what it is in a sort of a greek god sense you know right but like no they manifest as humble fish in the sacred pond and i'm like that's so beautiful it's really it's a really beautiful thing of you know eastern cultures as opposed to western cultures where we would personify a gigantic force of nature as being like there's the god the, the sun is a god and you know we take something giant and impressive whereas in an eastern culture you see them you know and this really profound sacred spirit is in a very humble and 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 you know unnoticed animal right yeah no i, I love that and you know just having the koi fish kind of meld into the yin and yang symbol like it's it's, you know, commonplace for us to associate that symbol with, you know, balance and light and dark and all that. Um, and I just love that they kind of were able to visually show that. Um, this is another super underrated moment. Um, it's just a literally less than a minute, but it really hit me this, this most recent rewatch. Um, and this actually is after UA's uh, sacrifice and after the war has been won and all that, the, you know, the Fire Nation has been drawn back. Um, it's just Sokka and Yue's dad, the, the tribe chief, talking, you know, looking out over the sunset and all that. And, you know, Sokka's like, you know, or sorry, her Yue's dad is just like, you know, I had a dream about a beautiful young girl turning into the moon spirit. Like, I knew that this day was going to come eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Sokka basically says, you know, you must be so proud of her. And his just response is so very proud and so sad. I'm like... Jesus God, this is so like that. If they didn't have that moment, I feel like it didn't, it wouldn't have resonated nearly as much because, like, mm -hmm. yeah, not only did Sokka lose, you know, the first love of his life, but, a, you know, the chief lost his daughter. Like, that is yeah. so sad. And he knew it was going to happen eventually. And, like, it's just one of those, you know, matter of waiting. And it just adds to the tragedy, the inevitability of that. And it's, yeah. ugh, it's so writing and it's such a good moment that like always goes overlooked by people but i love it it's a it's a really good strong thing because sometimes um you know stories that don't take a lot of time to expound on the backstory and allow us to spend a lot of time with a character people can see that the deaths seem hollow or that they okay I, this character died i don't really care i didn't feel anything but like i think one of the flaws with um writing characters in and then not spending a ton of time with them and then they die and expecting an emotional reaction is sometimes they don't follow up enough 
on the impact of that character's death with other characters and you know right. as we said avatar the writing is so excellent that they avoid a lot of a lot of these pitfalls um by in this case taking time afterward to show all of the fallout that there is they don't need to spend a lot of time doing it but they do spend some time with it to show the two of them there reflecting on it and what it means and even just to say how incredibly sad he is about it yeah yeah it's a really really beautiful moment that didn't need to be in there but i'm so glad that it was um so yeah i mean i think that that's pretty much everything i've got to say about it honestly there's not a lot because it's mostly just battle which it all looks great um yeah the whatever happened to zuko at the very end they they rescued him on the back of the thing but where 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 did he wind up at the end <laughs> that's actually a good question because like we see where them save he? him the next, well, the next shot that we saw of him, um, he was with Iroh on a boat heading away from the Northern Water Tribe, remember? Yeah, so, like, they just kind of drop him on the deck and be like, see you next time, buddy. I I guess so. Um, yeah. I love that moment. Um, I can't remember if it's in this episode or the previous one. Um, I think it's actually the previous one, but we didn't mention it. Between Zuko and Iroh, um, you know, as he's leaving to head into the Northern Water Tribe, and they just kind of have that, you know, heart to heart moment where Iroh's kind of nagging him about, oh, you know, make sure to keep your, you know, earmuffs mm -hmm. on or whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah. And, you know, Zuko is just starting to get like, you know, Uncle, you don't have to say it. Like, I know, I know that mm -hmm. you, he knows that he's thinking that Iroh is thinking of him as his own son, um, mm -hmm. even though it's, he's his uncle. But and then we get kind of a little bit of backstory, just brief line about, you know, he, that Iroh did lose a son. And we learn more about that later. But in that he sees Zuko as his as his own son now, because he's so he cares about him so much and he loves him so much. And he just wants him to be safe and, you know, happy and all that. And it's such, again, another underrated moment of character building and just like really feeling the weight of these characters and like their relationships. Um, which I think is something that the show excels at. And I didn't want to leave the episode without mentioning that. Cause I know if people would get mad, be like, why did you talk about the Zuko Iroh scene? Um, I, I love it. It's great. Well, one of the great strong cornerstones of storytelling that make it relatable is, you know, connecting it to the things that we can all feel uh, an emotional connection to. And when you have a story like this, it's about family from everything mm -hmm. from, Sokka and Katara and what they do for their family to Aang with no family and they becoming his family to Zuko with his broken family and trying to mend it in his own wayward way and in the process we're now seeing you know connections with him and his uncle that they certainly didn't have by episode one where they treat each other differently and their relationship has grown he even refers to Zuko as a man and you know that's a huge step for him. So all things considered, I give this episode a solid nine out of 10. Um, I actually, like I'd said, I enjoyed the first part better for a lot of things I really liked, uh, but obviously an amazing episode and a great, a great end to season one. Yeah. And I think I already said it, but I'll, I'll give them the same rating 9.3 out of 10. Cause I think that they are just one big story. And um, I think that they kind of flow into each other very nicely and, I don't know. I enjoy them both very much. I think it's a great way to end season one. And uh, yeah. I can't wait to see what's waiting for us in season two. Nothing but uh, more adventures and hijinks to come, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs>
That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.